1: Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg.
0: This
2: is Martina Navratilova.
1: I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray.
2: And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
3: Well, here we are, myself, Catherine Mütke, Simon Briggs of The Telegraph, and Matt Roberts of The Tennis Podcast at... The French Open courtside on the brand new Simone Mathieu Court where Stefanos or Stephanos I'm really trying to retrain myself Stephanos Tsitsipas is hitting glorious one-handed backhands in earnest before our very eyes being supplied balls by the ever-present Patrick Moratoglu his, uh, his father Apostolos watching on as well. It is a quite glorious sight and this is a, a quite splendid tennis court isn't it i mean this is the best for me the best new addition to a grand slam that that i can remember this is a a sublime tennis court
1: i like the grandstand at the us open but this is this this certainly would eclipse it in terms of style uh the way you've got you enter at sort of greenhouse level and then you walk down to the seating and the courts. you've got Seating up the top, which I mentioned is unreserved, and then um, ticketed seating down below. So it should be a really good atmosphere, and it's kind of it's kind of like an oasis of calm, isn't it? Because you have to you have to walk down a nice leafy path to get to it, and it's separated from the rest of the venue, and yet it expands the size of Roland Garros greatly.
3: That you were interrupted there, or uh, punctuated by the sound of Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, crying out in anger at thrashing a forehand into the net. It's quite an intense practice he's having. I'm not sure the guy has anything but intense practices but um, yeah, what, I remember what struck me the first time I came to, to the French Open having experienced Paris and France a lot is how kind of unstylish it was as a slam. It's very concrete and as much as they sort of make a really big effort with, with flowers and, and foliage and all the rest of it, it is basically a bit of a Concrete I saw, but not this new Simon Mature court. It is is beautiful, Simon. Well, the courts
4: always had a bit of style on the inside. I think maybe the exterior shells were not the prettiest, but yeah, I think this is. Um, well, I wrote about it this morning, and I really enjoyed uh, sort of describing the new setting. It's it felt like a bit of a sort of pushing through the coats at the back of the wardrobe moment when you walk out of Roland Garros because. You're, you're not supposed to go down that to that corner and then suddenly find yourself in a park, let alone one as pretty as this with the, the new greenhouses and, and then the, the 19th century greenhouse with its sort of verdigris copper frame and then on the other side there's an orangery where they held the drawer. It's just quite breathtaking and it's
3: quite a lot of lingo coming out here to describe this place i like it
4: yeah i mean you you, you could um you could be anywhere really i mean you, you don't feel like you're in the city the trees soak up the sound of the of the roads i'm sure it'll be a lot more hectic once the tournament starts in earnest but uh, i mean it's always so cramped on this site i mean the i'd say that the motto of the french open has been uh, never mind the size feel the style because of I, I did think that it was it was an elegant place particularly with the uniforms and so on but um this extra little bit of land and then the, the quality of this court it just seems to have upgraded the whole place a lot
3: does i mean as we record this the we know which matches are to be played on sunday but we don't know when and where they will be i do wonder if the fact that sit pass is hitting out here is looking a bit Tetchy and grumpy. Actually, that's quite teenage body language. He's coming out with there. His father is telling him no. His father is giving some instruction to the hitting partner about where he needs to deliver the ball, and Sitsupas is just looking a little bit teenagey, sulky.
1: Well, yesterday he was asking his hitting partner to record slow motion video for him while for, he was practicing for vlog for, purposes no for or future vlog content.
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, that is the priority these days, yeah. isn't it? Don't, whatever you do, Matt, don't go near a Shapovalov practice. It's all about the vlog content. He's still—is he still uh, in the draw in Lyon?
1: Uh, no, he lost on. to uh, Benoit Paire, who's made the final. Right,
3: righty ho. Um, See, so yeah, as we record this, we know what matches will be played on Sunday. We don't know where they will fall. I can pretty confidently predict, everyone with me here, that Roger Federer will play uh, on Philippe Chatrier on Sunday, uh, and I would expect the. Azarenka. Uh, who does she play? Someone good, doesn't she? Ostopenko. The Azarenka Ostapenko match is that one on Sunday? No, if I if I plucked that out of thin air.
1: Well, that was the funny moment from the draw when um, when it was a, a draw, which I thought was kind of not that dramatic, really, in terms of the matches it did throw up in the first round. But the, pretty much the first one out of the of the computer was Ostapenko Azarenka, and. Um, and the compare, uh, Mark Morrie, I think he's called, said uh, that would have been a good match two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Which, although w- Witty is wide of the Mark as Azarenka-wise... Yeah, because she, was, she wasn't able
1: to she, play. She two was not
3: ago. playing two, weeks ago, two years ago. She was on maternity leave and actually has had some great results recently. So...
4: Well, it feels just a bit dubious to be critiquing the players in that way anyway. I mean, it's an official function. I think... Um, did Leo Schlink uh, write an opinion piece about it and how it represented another example of why tennis is still uh, not actually a, an, a sport with gender equality or anywhere near it? Uh, I mean, whether, whether that incident it demonstrates that point or not, it was, it, it was it, it's certainly enough to start uh, quite a few debates.
3: Um, I mean, is there any debate about whether we have gender equality in, in tennis? No, I mean, no, we don't. End of debate. I mean, I, I asked uh, Carolina Pliskova in... Um in her press conference today and I'd intended to ask more. I was being opportunistic about it because it happened to be a really poorly attended press conference considering she's the Rome champion, she's the second seed. There were only a couple of English questions so I just put my hand up and I asked her about um, the new bathroom break rules at the French Open this year that they've reduced uh, the number of allowable bathroom breaks per match to to just one um, for for the men and one for the women. Now, I think... the facts of biology mean that you can't restrict bathroom breaks for for women in that way personally um, Karolina Pushkova did not agree um, she said actually if anything it was unfair to the men because they play for longer <laughs> um, so she it, it, it obviously was just something that that hadn't occurred to her which is, which is for me bizarre and I presume it's something that hasn't occurred to the male tournament organisers who who don't menstruate and and have thus set the rules. But there you go. There's there's my two pence. Um, Tennis-wise, where do we start with the draw? Well, we had media day today. Has anyone, Matt, said anything interesting <laughs> besides Dan Evans, who we will come on to, Simon?
1: In terms of the main In terms series, of the top
3: players, because um, it was, for me, from the ones I attended, pretty uneventful. I mean, we just come out of Novak Djokovic's press conference lot of peace and love. He seems to be very happy. He's not dwelling too much on Rome by the sounds of things. He, he genuinely doesn't seem to be dwelling too much on Rome. He got his title in Madrid. It feels like he's, he's got the matches he needs. He's all fine. Um, he faces Hubert Hercatch in the first round, who has troubled a few guys on tour this year. I mean, if, if Djokovic is feeling any kind of any kind of nerves, or or if, if what happened in the Rome final did get in his head at all, that, you know, look, he, he's probably going to win it, but it's not your dream first-round matchup, is it?
1: No, and I think of all the top seeds, he actually probably got the toughest draw, perhaps. I think Jaume Mouna is in his section, who's a very good clay court player. He got Chorich in his last 16, Fanini probably in his quarters.
4: Obviously. Well, probably. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, <laughs> That's not a word that normally applies to Fabio Fanini. Yeah, true. Um, uh, on on uh, potential, for sure.
1: Yeah, and he'd probably have to get past Zverev, who is maybe finding some form at the moment. Um, but Nadal, I asked about whether he thought the new Philippe Chatrier was playing any differently to the old one. And he said he didn't notice any big differences in terms of the sound, in terms of the feel of the balls, just that behind the roll box is now a very different look for him and for servers that that'll be that might take a slight adjustment but what they've done to the Philippe Chattray isn't going to alter the conditions like, for example, what they've done with the Arthur Ashe where that's become a court now with no winds and is very enclosed, whereas, it's, you know, the roof there has radically changed the conditions. Here, it's not that. I guess well, it, it might be. But. Well, he said, he said when the roof is on, he doesn't think it will be because of the way the roof's right. going to come across.
3: I suspect he's very relieved about that because he's not a guy that loves change, Rafael Nadal, is he?
4: But also, as you said in the Rafael Nadal standalone podcast, it, going on the chatrier for somebody who's not used to it is really like going in the bear pit or the minotaur's lair because he has such a command of it and the dimensions are so large and he, he exploits them better than anybody with the way that he, he spins the ball, gets the angles, gets the, 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 the kick off the baseline. So um, that's a, uh, a perfect court. For him, and one of the reasons why he's been unbeatable at Roland Garros.
3: And by contrast to to Djokovic, he has a pretty sweet draw: qualifier, then qualifier, and, and you know it it's it's not getting tricky for him until potentially quarter, quarter finals, really? Well,
1: quarterfinals, his most likely opponent would be Shikori, who of all the seeds. Who breaking you want, news?
3: So I asked you if anybody said anything interesting in press today bless him I wasn't expecting the answer to that to be Kane Ishikori but I asked him about uh, in a in the interview that that we did for him for, for Eurosport. I asked him about the, uh, the 30th anniversary this year of, of his coach Michael Chang's victory and, of course, the, the famous underarm serve against Ivan Lendl. He said, yeah, yeah, I know I wasn't born then, but I'm, I'm very aware that it's the, the 30th anniversary year and Michael talks about it a lot and it's really inspiring. And I said, oh, you, you're going to try an underarm serve in honour of him? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try one. So <laughs> wow.
1: I am holding him to that because I think he's got... <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think he just wanted to get rid of me and for the interview to be over as soon as possible. He's, but, yeah. And I mean, he's got
1: a French opponent in round one, possibly round two. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be funny if Kane Ishikori got booed for doing an under-half serve? It would be so sort of out of character, wouldn't it?
3: That, that one could be out here. It could be on Chateau as well. He's, uh, he's got Quentin Alice be like, the, be, be
4: like the guy who always gets the top marks, getting, getting sent to detention.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So watch this space for Kenia Shikori getting booed in round one, subsequent to an underarm serve. It's, it's certainly not the, the drama that I would have been expecting <laughs> on Sunday at Roland Garros, but I'm certainly ready for it.
1: I was I was just thinking about what Simon said about how Chatelet suits Nadal so much, and I was kind of thinking even if you take away his record at the French Open, if you just base who your favourite is for this tournament on the clay court results you'd probably still have to pick Nadal like okay he lost in some semi-finals but at least he was getting to those semi-finals and then he went and won Rome and then when you throw in all of his history at Rodon Garros he suddenly seems like such a big favourite I think the question really is whether Djokovic can find that peak level because if he can then that is surely the only thing that's going to live with nadal here
3: simon you caught up with nadal the other day didn't you for the yeah. telegraph magazine coming out this weekend
1: no it's it, it's
4: one of those lead time things so it, it won't be published until closer to wimbledon but uh, just a historical chat about um, one of his earlier successes
3: how did you find him
4: yeah i mean he seemed to be pretty happy and relaxed and uh, he was doing a lot of Promotional stuff for Richard Millet. His
3: uh, who treated you very well over here,
4: Simon. Well, he certainly treated Rafa well. The, the 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 suite in um, the what is it called the Plaza Athen? Is that how you pronounce a- it?
3: Athenae. Athenae. Uh,
4: well, it, it certainly you could you could have fitted a, a decent sized boat in there, possibly a yacht. Um,
3: Is that where he stays throughout the tournament? No, he doesn't stay
4: there, but uh, it was where he, he was receiving uh, the, the sort of various people who were coming to film clips for the uh, for the company or do short interviews. Um, so it was full of people like uh, Carlos Costa was there um, and uh, a lot of people from the watch company. But anyway, he, he was in a sort of pretty relaxed mood uh, and we watched him practice as well the next day against Fernando Vadasco. It does feel like he's got everything where he wants it, and although it's been slow for him this year, and is, is it the latest that he's ever won his first tournament of the season since he became a, a, a significant since p- a player? Since 2004, I think. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know that that could be seen as a negative, but it feels like he perhaps is peaking uh, with absolute perfect timing. Whereas before, he well, there've been so many recent seasons where he's there were two weren't there recently when he only lost to Dominic team a single match on clay uh, so that different to that but still feels like we're arriving at the, the, the contact point if you like of the swing and, in, and he's got everything in where he wants it
3: yeah it does. I mean he's my favourite I'll put it out there I'm, I'm going to pick him to win the title I haven't done my official predictions yet and none of us has Simon has warned me to steer clear of predictions <laughs> I know you don't enjoy predictions based podcasts Simon but I'm going Nadal same I believe, David, who's not here to defend himself, he's going for Djokovic. He
1: is, definitely.
4: Yeah, I mean, Djokovic uh, hasn't um, necessarily shown, as well in the this, in this season that he's, in the clay court season, he, he's got the goods to take Nadal down, but you feel that mentally he's had an edge over him in for, for, for a while now, When he's when he's feeling obviously he had the dip after his elbow surgery but if you take that out it feels like Novak might be mentally stronger I mean the Australian Open final was such a beatdown wasn't it and so uncharacteristic so unique in Nadal's history that even if um, Djokovic's game isn't stacking up perfectly against Nadal's on what we've seen so far I think mentally he might have an edge that, that could change it if it came to the final
3: just quickly on Roger Federer before we talk about the uh, the women's draw and and the, the the top women's players that we've seen in press today, F- Federer, as much as he's sort of sort of attempting, Matt, you in his press conference to to play down his chances here, he is also comparing his status at the French Open this year to at the Australian Open in 2017, which, if you'll recall, <laughs> he won.
1: Yeah, he was asked, "Do you think you can win?" and he kind of paused and said. Oh, it's, it's going to be difficult for me. But if there's one event I can compare it to, it's oh, it's that Grand Slam I won. <laughs> um, but do we think can he can win? I don't personally.
4: I don't think he's uh, likely to get through, unless he was going to win everything very fast. If he, if he was going to keep all the matches under two hours, I mean, the only thing is, the moment the weather's quite warm, which would uh, allow for him to come to the net a lot, he'd have to serve and volley frequently as he did in Madrid. Uh, he'd have to be playing note perfect tennis to to keep his energy levels intact going into the back of the second week. Yeah. So it I,
1: seems like a big call. I think I think his draw is okay to yeah. get he, he meets um Lorenzo Sonego and then possibly Jaziri
3: Berrettini. Berrettini so. who's
1: in very good form would be his first challenge and then possibly last year's semi-finalist Cianato who must be one of the Sort of lowest key semi finalist from the previous year to come into a Grand Slam. No one's talking about him, um, but then, but then he runs into possibly Sitsipas, who, if he was able to beat him in Melbourne on a hard court, you'd think you'd possibly even give Sitsipas the H on clay, and then, and then he's in Nadal's half. That was, that was the big question of the men's draw, which Djokovic the Nadal would get team, and who would get Federer. And for once, Federer was the one you wanted, and Nadal got him, and. You know, if Federer wasn't able to beat Nadal when Federer was in his absolute prime on clay, I'd really struggle to see him doing it this year.
3: Stefanos sits a pass. Stefanos sits a pass. I'm really trying. Stefanos sits a pass. I need to to lie in bed tonight and just say Stefanos sits a pass. A hundred times. He's still uh, in front of us here, thrashing forehands cross-court at his uh, poor hitting partner. Patrick Montoglu is still on the baseline distributing balls to him. What do we think? I know he's always been sort of vaguely on the sidelines of Tsitsipas's uh, career, Tsitsipas has, has trained at his uh, academy down in the south of France for a few years. What do we think though, the fact that Moritoglu is alongside Tsitsipas and not wherever Serena Williams is right now? And where is Serena Williams right now? Because she didn't come to press today. She, she's not required to, I believe, but I'm sure she would have been requested and she's politely declined those requests as she did in Australia.
4: And there was a wonderful question that we would have loved to ask her after the photograph that depicting her at uh, Disneyland Paris sitting in a wheelchair, which appeared on social media and, I mean, and is, uh, is so utterly inexplicable everyone kind of ignored it as like a sort of um, a moon is blue cheese type of, of, of uh, event. Like three days before a slam, she's sitting in a wheelchair at a, a kid's um, theme could, park could be the best bluff of all time. But then she came out today, apparently, and was uh, striking it nicely on Chatrier. So mm. <laughs> it's just we just have to write it off as a freak event.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we just, I mean, we've got no more information about the Serena than than we had a week ago when we were talking about her pulling out of of, of Rome. I mean, we we know nothing. She she could absolutely win the thing. I don't think anybody. Um, a Roland Garros today would would give her no chance of winning this but equally she could absolutely lose in round one who's she got round one Matt she's not playing Sunday is she so she'll be uh, Monday or Tuesday who's she got round one she
1: has Dietchenko so
3: the downer of Maria Sharapova at Wimbledon last year Mm, but but
1: potentially a person that she could play herself into form against um, and then there's yeah. a there's that's a not
3: a compliment to Diarchenko Matt <laughs> no. a person who could help a top player play themselves into form um,
1: and then there's a, another player who comes in with a lot of question marks is Andreescu who we've obviously not seen since, was it her Miami, s- Miami think, um, yeah.
4: that could be Williams' third round but yeah. if,
1: if they both get that far would be quite a blockbuster
3: love to see it Love to see it, yeah. Will a, they both be standing?
1: And I think that that top section of the women's draw is is what we're talking about, and that quarter is quite interesting, because you've got Naomi Osaka, who obviously has won the last two Grand Slams, but doesn't have huge pedigree on this surface, and actually she's playing Schmiedlaver in the first round, who has two play court titles. Um, and the winner of that could, could play, well, will play the winner of the aforementioned Azarenka Ostapenko match. Which
3: I think I got wrong there. I think it's actually the equally mouthwatering, if not more so, svitolina Venus Williams match, which mm. we will be seeing on Sunday. And I can't believe that that's not a Chatrier match. I mean, it's possible that some matches that we think of as Chatrier matches will, in fact, be um, mature matches, more mature matches, just because they want to, to christen this lovely court. But come on, that's Chatrier, isn't it?
1: Uh, absolutely yeah and Again that's a that's a match where there's not a lot of data to tell us what might happen because Fitolina's been nursing a knee injury and, and Venus hasn't doesn't doesn't play a huge amount.
3: And well the last time we saw her she was losing to Joe Conter and she was dollying serves in. Yeah. So
1: And
4: um, Joe Conter had already won a three set match that same day.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah. So And
4: Venus had had the day off um, previously, hadn't she? So
3: I hope it's not a damp squib. First day of the French Open Chatrier, I'm assuming could do with that match living up to expectation. Smyrna We saw in press earlier today, Matt. In fact, she was the first one in. Mm. Um, She was scheduled at midday. She came in at 11.58. Really appreciated and wanted to note that promptness. (laughs) Um, And she was full of the joys, wasn't she? I really believe her when she says she's not feeling any pressure about defending this title. In fact, she was so full of the joys that our, our great friend and colleague, Mary Carrillo, asked her in that press conference... Simona, do you think you're too happy to achieve great things? Sometimes, you know, it's, it's not good to be happy because you feel satisfied and you've got to feel wanting in order to to strive for these great things. And Simona Halep replied, maybe, maybe. Yeah.
1: And I think the inspiration of that question was Halep saying everything that comes now is a bonus. Um, and after... After she'd answered Mary's question, Mary turned around us, didn't she? And she said, oh, I hate it when they get happy. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's good that she's in a good headspace, but is she going to want it as much as she did last year?
4: So she reached the Madrid final, didn't she? Um, But other than that, there hasn't been a lot.
3: In fact, she said a strange thing about wiping out Rome. She said, I don't even count Rome. Mm, I'm not even thinking about Rome. Of course, she lost to to Vondrusheva in Rome, her second loss to Vondrusheva of the year. I don't know whether she meant that as sort of Von is my my bogey player, so mm. I don't even count matches that I lose to her. I don't know, but it was a slightly strange comment.
1: And if you compare her record coming into Roland Garros this year, to be fair, it's quite similar to last year, where she reached the final in uh, Rome and lost to Svitolina and didn't didn't have any notable results necessarily at the other ones, whereas I think in 2016, she'd come into Roland Garros having won a title on, on clay beforehand and didn't manage to back it up at Roland Garros. So there are some parallels, some good parallels there for her with last year. And I think she's got a really good draw as well.
3: She thinks there are 10 players in this women's draw that could win it. That's is an she, underestimate. will, yeah, is it? <laughs> really? well, how how be. It feels well, like
4: 25 to me.
3: Really? How low would you go, Simon? Would I mean, you go as low as Joe Conta?
4: I mean... Joe Conta certainly, we'd hoped she might uh, get on the board. <laughs> Remember the, Am I getting the, the, ahead of this? This is the uh, slam where uh, Bastard Gate developed last year, um, where she wasn't too happy with us reminding her that she'd never actually scored a victory <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> ha- yeah. after, after I didn't her defeat that had a gate to Putin's yeah.
4: Um So, quite a massive improvement in her clay court form, but will there still be a shadow over her psychologically coming back here we just don't know
1: well yeah because Hallett was tentatively mentioning the mix there wasn't she that's she didn't (laughs) use those terms but that's what she meant um but it was interesting how yeah I would agree with Simon it doesn't feel less open than last year even though Hallett put the number as 15 potential winners last year and now she's she's rather arbitrarily I think come out with 10 um
3: but I think she was making the point that to her it feels slightly less open but I don't know, I mean I am is anybody saying that Ash Barty can't win this title, is anyone saying that Belinda Benchich can't win this title you'd certainly, you've got to say that Sloane Stevens can win it, Muguruza can win it Svitolina can win it um, Joe Conter. let's leave that aside, Kiki <laughs> Burton's can win it, Angelique Kerber, I know she doesn't love clay but she's the fifth seed, she's a three time slam champion you've got to say she can win it would you go down to an Elise Mertens can I offer you an Elise Mertens anyone <laughs> yeah and I mean
4: well, uh, what about uh, Julia Gerges I mean you just feel like Karolina
3: Plushka definitely so can win it
4: that somebody who's not actually come on with a list of results
3: behind Petruka them could,
4: could just hit form is 22nd seed
3: no, I haven't even mentioned Nomi Osaka Maria Sakari Caroline Garcia, who's uh, still in the event, in uh, playing well in in Nuremberg. I think ten is
4: a massive underestimate. I do. Yeah. How
3: many? How many? I wasn't counting the number of names, but any of them could plausibly bin it. So, who's
4: is it going? It's easier it? to pick the ones who can't. would <laughs> that, that be faster? Is
3: is Halep your favourite? In, in a see, I mean, obviously, if it's an individual against the field, I think everyone's going for field. There is no sta- There is no standout um, winner. I don't think. Um, but is it is it Halep, if you have, if you have is, to is pick one?
4: the bookie's favourite, and it's um, dif- book, difficult to see... The Andy
3: Murray at sort of 20-1 <laughs> to, to win Wimbledon the other day, yeah, I know, I've but... It's difficult to, bookies. But again, it's
4: difficult to see who who would you put in front of her, isn't
3: it? Well, who would you put just behind her, then? If we're all agreed on Halep is the sort of, not head and shoulders favourite, but sort of ha- ha- hair... Uh, Hair (laughs) favourite. Follicle (laughs) favourite.
4: Follicle favourite, yeah. Right, well, Burtons, I suppose. Kiki
3: Burtons. She was so relaxed today. I didn't speak to her myself, uh, but I saw her do a Dutch interview, of which I understood nothing, but just (laughs) on the basis of body language interpretation, Um, she just looked fantastically relaxed. And, in fact, I did see her do a, a, um, a couple of questions in English, and she was reminding people that although we talk about this, kind of the last 12 months as her breakout time, she's reminded us that three years ago she reached the semi-finals here, you mm-hmm. know, and actually yes, she's been doing it on a more consistent basis, but having really good results and coming in to the French Open feeling good and like she could do some damage is, it's not new to her this is, you know, she's not having to make any adjustments, she's just doing her thing and could win this title, maybe oh. she be even become the top Kiki on Google autocomplete, how far would she have to go to become the top suggestion on Google if you, if, you Kiki type, D. if you type Kiki into Google. Who's it bringing up? Kiki D. Not Mladenovic? Not Mladenovic but I believe Mladenovic is ahead of Burton's currently okay. but D is is winning the race it probably well. varies depending on what country you're in but in the UK Kiki D is the winner currently you, know what, you
4: don't want to tell your Mladenovic story at this moment do you?
3: No it's an off the record Mladenovic story <laughs> Simon <laughs> Okay sorry <laughs> Um, well, we'll put it this up. way. We, K- I don't think we'll be seeing Kiki Nadanovich on uh, the Simone uh, Mathieu court. Mm. I think she might prefer to play on Chatrier.
1: <laughs> well, Kiki Bertens would have to get past Victoria Cosmova in round two. Just putting Which, that out there. I mean,
3: it's all academic because it ain't happening.
1: Exactly. Um, and actually, that, that it was obviously on the Australian Open preview podcast where I made that prediction which I've come to <laughs> regret um, but She's it's, along leaps
0: and bounds, it's worth
1: saying that the reason I made that prediction was that at the time there had been 19 successive Grand Slams where an unseeded player had reached the quarterfinals of the women's singles and that's Ooh. now 20.
3: Who's it going to be this time? So
1: it, it, it's, it's less a pattern more a rule kind of thing you know when you're making your predictions it's it's almost certain that there is going to be an unseeded player get through to the quarterfinals because
3: Kiznetsov is unseeded. Although she would play Pliskova in round two. Yeah,
4: Pliskova is an interesting one, isn't it? Because, uh, as you say, would not a heavily attended press conference, but we just assume that Pliskova has been a sort of regular top ten player for so long without uh, a slam title that she's now disregarded. But the way that she... Cleaned up, Conta in the Rome final was you know totally without any nerves or, or tension, and she's got um, she's got Conchita Martinez in her corner. That's a so, big deal, isn't it? Uh, she's not under any expectation. She she won't be getting crowds of people uh, following her results in the first week. She'll sneak through if she if she just uh, Sh- keeps her.
3: Can it be a sneak through if you're playing Medenovic in round three?
2: Uh,
4: I mean, I think. It, the French crowd might get excited, but I think in terms of she could make the, the second week, she could make the quarters and, and almost um, without trace. Mm. And then she, she maybe have to switch on, but that's a, that's a little bit of an advantage, the, the fact that she is disregarded before the event.
3: And I really don't think she minds that at all. I, I really think she's absolutely fine with that status. I think she, she probably errs towards, towards introversion and, you know, you lot can talk about whatever you like. I'm just going to go out there and play tennis. Um,
1: I just wanted to mention Naomi Osaka, who, gave a, who did give a good answer today in press. She was, um, she was asked about what her goals are. And she basically wheeled off everything she hasn't yet won. Uh, she said, "Yeah, it'd be nice to win the French Open. It'd be nice to win Wimbledon." That's and obviously, all but, three
4: to- all but three tournaments, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So there's quite a lot of tournaments she hasn't won yet. And and also she mentioned the Olympics, and so obviously that's on her mind. And and then and then and then she said it would be really She's cool. She's from
3: Japan. How could the Olympics not yeah. be on her
1: mind? And she said it would be really cool to win all four slams in one year, which was, which um, was of course the way she said it. It was kind of like. She said it in her usual way of being kind of self-deprecating and almost joking about it. But then you kind of thought, I mean, she could.
4: W- weren't you talking about the who was the last woman to win three in a row other than Serena? And, and does it go back to Graf? Was it, would
3: it, would it, be, it would have to be Steffi, wouldn't it? Mm. Steffi Graf. I think it
4: would have to be Graf. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not exactly out of the question. She's, she's, she's been... Pretty decent, yeah. not not outstanding, but I mean, she's in the mix in
1: the mix. She's only actually had one loss because she had because she, she pulled out of two events. Um,
3: with a numb thumb.
1: Yeah, which she says is which she says she hopes is hundred percent by the time the match she's you know, by the time she plays, which wasn't the most confident answer. Um, but I really do think she might do quite well here.
3: That's a, that's a heck of an edge of motivation isn't it to be on for going for all
1: four. Going for all four, yeah.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify.
2: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. A um,
3: couple of other newsworthy bits to, to clear up, particularly while you're here, Simon. Dan Evans' press conference today, he uh, never fails to deliver uh, on a press conference, does he? I mean, we talked a little bit about tennis and then we got on to talking about his practice week with, with Roger Federer. Um, he said he was—he uh, got the call from Ivan Lubacic. He said he believes that <laughs> no one else was available and that's why he got the call. And he was on the plane the next day. Um, but he said he learned a lot From it, and it turned into um, a bit of a sort of um, philosophical take from Dan Evans in terms of sort of Roger Federer teaching him sort of observations from Roger Federer's practice session, making him draw conclusions about what the LTA might not be doing or taking advantage of. Would that be fair?
4: It was the value of uh, simple exercises that he was espousing, wasn't it? And he was saying that Roger doesn't go in for overly complicated training patterns, which actually, is, it, when, we, when we see Roger at tournaments, it's, it, it often seems like he is kind of doing trick shots. And there, there was one, wasn't there, where he had a ball boy on the court with his hand out and he was trying to hit the hand um, without during... the ball boy having to move it. But obviously, during the training weeks, like you say, maybe yeah. he's, he's really adhering to the basics. And Dan was saying, why do we have uh, half a dozen analysts uh, complicating things at uh, the LTA or within British Tennis, when we should really be doing the spit and sawdust approach. It works for the greatest in the history of the game. It should work for us.
3: But, but I suppose you could turn that argument on its head and say, well, <laughs> well, Roger Federer is obviously the exception. What's going to work for him? Probably. I mean, it's all very well if you're that naturally gifted to to keep things simple, but that's not necessarily going to work for the rest of us mere mortals.
4: Yeah I mean the the argument would be that uh, Federer became the giant that he is by repeating some, some fairly essential training patterns but I guess he has an ability to develop his game that maybe not many mere mortals could equal. It's uh, an eternal argument, isn't it? What, what's the best system? D- Dan was actually quite positive about the National Academies, which a lot of people within British tennis, and including his uh, his own coach David Felgate, I'm not sure is such a keen uh, admirer of that uh, idea. So, if you, it's almost like you could talk to ten different people and get ten completely different, different answers as to how is the best way to develop uh, a a nation's tennis workforce, and and clearly. No one's really cracked it, although I suppose Tennis Canada might at the moment claim to have had better fortune than most.
3: Is that, I mean, is, is, is that what all the British papers will lead on tomorrow? Do, do all your ears pick up when, when someone like Danny doesn't mind getting stuck in on a topic like that sort of does speak freely?
4: Well, I think Katie Bolter will be taking her place within the uh, editorial tomorrow. That's uh... Yeah, now
3: explain to us what she has done or not done. So or...
4: Katie, uh, she was here today watching Katie Swan, who lost in the final round of qualifying. Um, and she was also here to effectively sign in and then get a doctor's certificate saying that she wasn't fit to play and then receiving half what she would have earned as a first round loser in the main draw which is 23,000 euros.
3: Which is a new rule as of the past couple of years. Sixth, in, sixth
4: slam that it's applied yeah, to. Yeah, in think. order
3: to prevent uh, retirements in the first round. I think it was following a Wimbledon where we saw an awful lot of retirement. 2017,
4: so was, there was a Novak and Roger both yes. lost... Their it opponent, was still, Gopalov retiring against Federer centre. So people court on centre got uh, effectively 45 minutes of each of them. I, I can't quite remember what the length of the match were, but yes, that that was a, uh, clearly a, uh, a motivator for this rule change. And of course, when you change any rule in any sport, you always throw up unexpected consequences so what we are seeing here is the flip side of the rule so it looks like it's been introduced so that somebody who's feeling a bit sore who's maybe played the previous week who's not quite sure whether they're ready or not will err on the side of caution and therefore not put themselves in a position where they're having to let the crowd down on day one two or three now what we're seeing with bolter is it's a very different situation because she's uh, well, her team are refusing to confirm but everyone on the inside does nod when you say stress fracture of the back this is not a, a bruised toenail or, or a blister on her finger um, there was never any realistic prospect it, it, according to most people of her playing but she was still entitled according to the rules to arrive in Paris, claim that to half of share and then a lucky loser will uh, come in and, and receive the other half share if she doesn't win.
3: She also proactively announced her withdrawal from the French Open herself well, a couple of weeks ago. Well, did she? Oh, I thought she had.
4: Well, the Guardian said she had. One of our headlines said she had, <laughs> but I didn't write the headline, and it suddenly wasn't in
3: my copy. Right. Okay. Okay. We will. We will clarify that. I thought she had. She had a couple of weeks ago said that that she would be out of action for a couple of months due to the stress fracture in her back. Um, but and, and that, I thought... But, was
4: but I, I don't remember what the statement exactly said, but whether that is, is a withdrawal from the French Open mm. or not is also a moot point, isn't it? Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's within within the rules. I think it, it strikes me as a sort of... It's, it's PR naivety, really. I mean, if she perhaps got out in front of it and, and said, look, this is within the rules for me to do this i'm a i'm a i'm a pro tennis player ranked sort of around top 100 in the world trying to make ends meet etc etc can't turn my nose up at the the opportunity of 20 grand and (laughs) which not many of us would i think there'd perhaps be some some more sympathy
4: well she could either have tried to own the decision and and make her point which would have been one 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 other way of mitigating the, the issue might have been to come here early because you could make that visit. It's important you come to the site. You're not allowed to take your half share unless you come to the site. But the cutoff, at which you're allowed to arrive begins on Wednesday lunchtime, I think. So she could have come on Wednesday, thereby withdrawn before the draw. It wouldn't have actually changed the mechanics because Stephanie Vergler of Switzerland would still have been knocked out of the main draw, by her uh, her because the qualifying tournament had already started. It wouldn't have affected Vergler's unfortunate exit in the first round of qualifying um, which I guess would probably be pretty frustrating for her. But the optics would have been a little better, wouldn't they? It certainly wouldn't have been so visible if she hadn't uh, suddenly turned up in the draw to everyone's surprise. Uh, So uh, I'm not sure it's been very well handled and there's a lot of um, disquiet about whether this was a spirit in which the rule was intended but at the same time, she's not breaking any rules. She's only working within them as she
3: sees them. And a final note on uh, on withdrawals. Nick Kyrgios is a goner from the French Open draw. He is ill. And also told us this week that the French Open sucks in unrelated news. Um, final bit of business, Simon. Administrative tennis news abounds today. The ATP <laughs> Tour has incorporated or formalised its relationship with the labor cup tell us
4: more i haven't had much time to look too closely at the press release but i saw that uh, they would be using uh, some of the atp support services including sort of pr and marketing uh, but there were no rank- rankings points
3: it's an um, endorsement it's an official endorsement isn't it It's a bit like having a
4: badge isn't it yeah
3: it's bit be- i mean i surely a direct competitor to the atp cup it- I find that a bit bizarre. I mean, maybe there's maybe there's room for them both, and they don't. Uh, is there a unlimited unlimited is there unlimited interest for team competitions and interest in one doesn't detract from interest in another, or is one stealing from the other's thunder? I don't know. Maybe we won't know until it all happens, but.
4: Well, I did wonder whether there was an issue as well. I mean, there, there was always potential for there to be a, a sort of backroom deal between Labour Cup and Davis Cup about the weeks. Um, so I wondered if maybe that was one reason why ATP might want to be um, proactively coming to a relationship that was not hostile with uh, teammate and, and Labour Cup.
3: I mean, I suppose it's, it's nice that two tennis entities are getting on for a change.
1: It does kind of move it a bit closer to the um, Ryder Cup sort of ideal that maybe tennis has had in mind, because the Ryder Cup, you know, the European Tour and the PGA Tour will advertise that and talk about that but it was always odd that the ATP tour on, for example on those, even on their social media channels would just completely ignore the fact that the Labor Cup was going on whereas now well they won't and you'll have, you won't have ranking points at the event but I believe that the top three players on ranking will get in to the Labor Cup and then there will be World Cup picks which again is following that Ryder Cup formula
3: and it means that Stefanos Tsitsipas, who is still uh, practising away in front of us here, um, will have the chance to play some team competition. He'll
1: have a cup to play, yeah, because he can't play a be cup because there's no other ranked Greek player.
3: Apparently his brother is trying to get himself one, <laughs> one ranking point is all you need to be eligible.
1: But that is easier said than done, one ranking point. And meanwhile, the, uh, the World <laughs> Tennis Tour,
4: otherwise known as the Transition Tour, effectively me- met a sort of early grave last night, didn't it? Although um, it's not officially been cancelled, but it was a massive rowback from the International Tennis Federation, who have caused total chaos within the sort of lower ranked players' lives and are now backdating everything to try and pretend it never happened.
3: And look, yes, all, all of all of that should probably have happened before it was launched and everything, but at least it's an ad- admission that it's not right and an attempt to, to correct that rather than a sort of arrogant and belligerent sticking with something that's so clearly not right. Um, so pro- progress, yeah. Uh, right then, so we've got Halep and Nadal winning, have we? Is that what we're going for?
1: Yeah, tentatively. Um,
4: um, I'm going to go uh, Djokovic and um, oh. and
1: I'm going to go Pliskova.
3: Oh, crikey,
4: Simon. But, but I agree that they, the, the two you mentioned are the favourites.
3: Final question for you, Simon. While we've got you, is uh, Olcitasapati in front of us? Who I think he's looked a little bit grouchy throughout this practice. Yeah. Um, is he in the mix? The famous mix.
4: <laughs> sure. I mean, there, there's, there's, it's, it's sort of easier to identify sort of maybe half a dozen men who are in the next group of the peloton behind the two very obvious breakaway leaders, um, because most of them have actually beaten one of those two guys in this build-up. So you've got Team um, is obviously the the, the third favourite, and then you're coming on to Sitsipas. you're coming on to maybe Fanini. I know he's inconsistent, but on talent he's got the potential to do something extraordinary. And he does seem to maybe feel that he... he I don't know, to be a little bit more resistant to, to meltdown and self-sabotage, having I, won Monte Carlo. I think he
3: had a taste of it in Monte Carlo, and he wants more. I, I think that's a spur for Fabio Fanini.
1: Yeah, I just I just don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> no one does, Matt. Um, no one does. Would anyone like a weird statistical quirk regarding yes. Rafael Nadal? So we mentioned it on our um, Nadal special podcast, actually, that going into the French Open... In 2009, which was when he lost to soddling, he'd beaten soddling 6-1, 6-love in Rome, and then he lost to soddling in the fourth round at Roland Garros. Well, this year, a potential fourth-round opponent for Nadal at Roland Garros is Nicolas Basilashvili, who he beat 6-1, 6-love in Rome. <laughs> But sort of Honestly, po-
3: if, if anyone is listening, to, stat of the day, if but, anyone is yeah. listening to this ten days late, and it turns out that Matt has been—he it- also beat
4: Basilashvili for the loss of one game in 2017 here. Yeah, so there is. And what he probably thinks is his best ever match at Roland Garros. I mean, also the other person I was thinking. These people almost team as a contender. The other I see more as potential spikes under the wheels that could give somebody a puncture
3: like Sitsapas did with Federer to, or, or you mean sort of take some air out of them yeah, well, for future either. I mean one the,
4: well, the thing I should say is that clay is the surface on which it's hardest to get an upset mm. uh, you know it's grinding it's physical you cannot just freak, freak it fluke it in, in a couple of hours you have to go to, to the well to win so something like um, Daniel Medvedev could be a factor you know he's, um, he's in line to play Nadal what in the fourth round
1: quarter um, final, I think. He can t- he he, called could
3: a final. he could take some legs out of him, couldn't quarter he? Final, and yeah. we saw
1: that in in Rome with with uh, Djokovic. It was basically a tag team effort to take him down in Rome because it was kinda like the the big Argentine had a go and which was Del Potro, he couldn't quite do it. Schwartzmann had a go and then they've sort of weakened him for Nadal, who had a much <sighs> a much sort of less energized Djokovic in the final and Djokovic has got the draw out of Djokovic and Nadal, where he would be more susceptible, I think, to ha- having people, as Simon says, just take the wind out of him a bit before he beats before he meets Nadal. Yeah, you you've
4: got the sort of two T-Rexes, and then you've got the sort of pack of Velociraptors <laughs> <kind> of coming. <laughs> and out remember behind. the
2: words
3: of uh, Boris Becker three years ago after Djokovic beat Murray in the final here. Um, I think it was at Queens. A couple of weeks later, he was asked what the difference was in that final, and he said five hours. 52 minutes, which was... I think it was 52 minutes, which was the difference in time spent on court between them coming into that final.
1: Because Murray spent the first two rounds, didn't he?
3: Against Matthias Borg. Matthias Borg and Radek
1: five <laughs> sets. Ten sets he played against Yeah, putting two us guys. through it and then yeah. Isner... Yeah, that was that was something. Bring back those days, we miss them. <laughs> and uh, just the final note on the women's draw, I think it's worth mentioning the possible number one scenarios in that. Oh, yes.
3: Um, what have we got?
1: So Osaka can maintain her number one and Pliskova, Burton's Kerber and Kvitova can all become number one. But to do so, they would all... At least have to reach the final, uh, which uh, none of them have ever done. Halep, as the defending champion, won't, is not going to gain any points, so she can't. Uh,
3: so, so the greatest likelihood is that Osaka will remain.
1: Yeah, but again, she she may well have to reach the final to do that. Depending, it, it all depends on other other results. Really, it's, it's going to be very up for grabs.
3: Brilliant. Okay, extra storyline. We love it. Joe Conta though, she's going to win a match.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: Not the tournament, but a match. We don't know who she's playing yet, do we? We don't, know. No. The, uh, the qualifying draw has not been made, but we'll be back um, on Sunday. Joe Conta doesn't play on Sunday. No Brits in action on Sunday, I believe, but plenty of great tennis. That is when our daily tennis podcasts start from the French Open. There are 15 of them, 16, if you include this preview podcast, starting on Sunday when Roger Federer will be in action, uh, Svitolina and Venus Williams, and Stefanos Tsitsipas, whose name I am correctly pronounci- pronouncing but who hasn't got a serve in in the last five <laughs> minutes and he was barely making a return either so uh, all not rosy maybe he just doesn't like this lovely new court i can't i can't believe that i love it uh love the french open and we'll be back starting our daily pods on sunday we'll see you then
0: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact